Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Real Rant, the place where we like to rant about the real stuff. My name is Brennan McGee, and I'm your host. So to say the least, Josh Rubin is a really, really cool dude. And I had an amazing time talking to him about his career and where it's going and what he's doing and, you know, his earlier days of theater and college humor and all that jazz. It was a lot of fun. And we also talk about his newest film, his first feature, Scare Me, which, by the way, is on Blu-ray right now. Um, I will post a link to that film on IMDb down below in the show notes so you can kind of like assess where you can find it on whatever, you know, platforms you watch it on or whatever. But before we kind of get into the episode, I just kind of wanted to take a second and talk about something that I've started to notice. In all honesty, I think I'm probably behind on this a little bit, but it's something that I feel like I need to say out loud, let everybody know about. So in the sort of like film ethos right now, I feel like there is this sort of little spot, this house, if you will, (laughs) where, you know, all these new sorts of new era of directors are kind of finding their place and 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 that's outside of the franchise and outside of these sort of big house name directors um that we kind of see producing their films and have been doing so for you know for ages since you know since the beginning of film no <laughs> just for a really long time and um it's this new era of filmmakers that are people that I've almost kind of been waiting for to come out of the the abyss, the, these creative minds to find themselves in this space where people will trust them with their voice and their, you know, creative, you know, drive, you know. And I feel like Josh is one of those guys. And I, I'm extremely excited about his career. But I'm not only excited about his career, but what his career represents as well for other filmmakers. It's this representation of these sorts of these voices that want to say something important that, that, through, through their film. And it just so happens that horror is kind of like a great place to do that. And uh, that's what Josh does with Scare Me. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not kind of like singling out Josh, but I am, you know, I'm using him as a kind of a representation of these sorts of filmmakers that are kind of coming out. Um, I have this little blurb that kind of maybe to- fine tunes what I'm trying to say a little bit. So I'm going to read it here. It's going to sound a little robotic, but hopefully you can kind of get a sense of what I'm trying to say with all of this. And again, I'm I'm probably way behind the boat on all this crap, but I, I feel like I wanted to say something at least for myself to hear when I go back and I listen and edit all this crap. But yeah, here we go. There is a new era of filmmakers finding their voice and style in the industry today. Outside of the big franchise films, there is a little place in the market slash industry where substance and thought-provoking voices are being heard. I would argue that Jordan Peele kickstarted it with his film Get Out. I could be wrong here, but that's just kind of what I've gone on and what we talk a little bit about in the episode. So bear with me. But also, another example is Taika Waititi's film Jojo Rabbit. I believe we get these stories now because the market slash industry is recognizing the need and also the popularity of such films and their message. Josh Rubin has found this place with his first feature, Scare Me, a film with wacky yet thrilling commentary on gender dynamics and all while playing in the vast playground of the horror genre in a very unique and refreshing way. So there's my little blurb. Um, I kind of repeated what I said prior, but I I feel like that was a more concise 
point that I was trying to make. Um, but yeah, I'm just really stoked about directors and creators like Josh and their careers and where they're going because they represent this new era of, you know, of where we're going as a society and, uh, and what we want to create and the, and the words and, and stories that we want to put out to the world and kind of grow together with, if that makes any more sense. But with that, I'll just kind of stop and, uh, and we're going to get into the episode. But before we do, I just need to remind everybody that if you would like to, you can find me on Twitter at the Real Rant Pod or on Instagram at the Real Rant, all one word. Or you can send me an email at the Real Rant Podcast at gmail.com. If you are a fan, filmmaker, or a creator, or someone who works in front of or behind the camera, go ahead and get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. And maybe we could have you on the show. If you want to help out the show, you don't have to, but if you want to, I have my Patreon link down below. If you really want to help out the show, you can do so by giving me a review on whatever listening platform you're listening to me on right now. And if you want to help out the show a little bit more, you can go ahead and hit that subscribe button. All right. Now that we've gotten through all of that, I just need to make one more note. <laughs> I forgot to say, we do talk about the ending of the film Scare Me, and there's an instance in the interview where I say, hey, spoilers, or spoilers from here on out or whatever, just be aware of it because I think it's really important that everybody gets a chance to watch this film, but I also didn't want to take it out from this interview because I felt like it was a really important part of the conversation and uh, it was a really good ending to a really awesome film. Um, so if you haven't seen the whole film yet, please stop the podcast, go and watch the film, come back and listen to the rest of it because his commentary on how he came up with it and all that jazz is there for you to love and listen to. All right, and with that, may I present to you writer and director Josh Rubin. Hey, man, thanks for coming on the show. Hell yeah. I guess I should I should start off by saying, like, uh, I, I hadn't seen your stuff in so long, and, I, and part of the reason why I actually started finding your stuff again was um you're like quite prolific on instagram <laughs> i try to be but instagram is another place where i just try and you know try and exercise a little bit and just uh yeah get out my anger for the state of the world it's it's like you know in a funny way it's therapy but the funny thing about it is like instagram just like whenever you decide you want to just do something for you like i'm just gonna fuck around and make a thing it always turns into something it always turns into some opportunity, some awareness of you that no one people you know people didn't have before, and it's it's a cool thing. And in in a in a like I don't know, dare I say from a marketing side, it's been cool to just like fuck around on TikTok, for example. I don't know how to use it. I basically just upload old videos on occasion. I'll you know put them, but the algorithm has it that you know it for some reason if they like you know Josh Rubin stuff or you like food stuff or whatever you like, will just kind of the algorithm will befriend you and and keep showing your so basically my i have amassed a bigger following on tiktok than i have on instagram or you know twitter or anything else and so you know it's where i eventually am going to start uploading trailers for the movies that i do Mm. it's like okay well i guess if i if a jeff bridges or you know jason bateman or like obscure impression of a french guy in a diaper like gets people's (laughs) eyes to my stuff then i'm gonna keep i'll absolutely keep doing it um, and being myself, if, if, you know, it also helps drive eyes to my little, like, you know, indie projects and even the, you know, bigger shit. I found, uh, I, cause I don't have TikTok, and I think I had it for a time and I got rid of it cause I found myself just sitting on the couch for too long, just watching 
the world go by. And uh, I found your stuff because you can do that weird thing where you can send stuff from TikTok to Instagram. And Christina Polinsky, I don't know if you know who she is. Like uh, hmm. she has that podcast with Tom Segura. I don't know if you sounds familiar. Yeah, they're like uh, it's called like your mama's house podcast, but they're like really big, famous comedians. And she grabbed one of your videos and put it in her Instagram stories. Oh, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. And that's how I found out about you being on Instagram. And then I started following you. And I was like, hey, man, he's still doing all the shit that I loved when I was a kid going to school. And because I I found you through a friend. And I think I was having like a really bad day. And my friend was like, Mm -hmm. hey, come here. Like, I need to show you this. And it was you doing Hello, My Name Is. And I can tell you, mm. I I probably, I, I like I can't even tell you like those videos mean so much to me as like a when I was like going through high school and you like dealing with all the shit you're going through and yeah yeah and then like uh, you know you find like college humor in itself like was such a great place for I think a lot of people my age that were just going through crap and like can see the level of absurdity in the world and yeah like, I don't know I I feel like. Uh, I think it was like a great place, and I I loved Hello, my name is. I'd show I show all my friends, and so I was like, oh man, I I wonder what he's doing today. And then I and and then I found you on Christina P's TikTok, like she calls them her talks, and she does them like every uh, she uploads like a bunch every day. And uh, me and my fiance sit down and we watch them, and we happen to find yours. And I was like, he's on Instagram, and I was like, that's how I. You know, and that was it. You know, that was that was the beginning of the beginning. I'm not trying to like act like a fanboy a little bit here, but I've been uh, I've been a fan of your stuff for a while. But um, enough oh, of that. Thanks, man. <laughs> no, it's uh, that's, it's wonderful to hear. The crazy thing is, I'm 37 now. I joined College Humor. I want to say when I was 28 in 2000 and 2008. I don't know if that math is right, but anyway. Um, it's crazy to have people come come out of the woodwork in different ways and be like, holy shit, I used to watch you when I was a kid. It's yeah, such yeah. a crazy thought. And I also remember when I was a kid at 28 or 27, whenever I joined, you know, the first few times that people would, we do live shows. We do some live shows at the Gramercy Theater, but, but also at UCB. But when I'd like walk to lunch and I remember one time a, a, a girl – like a like a sophomore in high school screamed. I rounded a corner, you know, like that that shit really really hit me. And all I ever wanted when I was a kid, now I don't want it at all, which <laughs> is funny. But when all I ever wanted as a kid was to be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be famous? Yeah. And what you know, I, while I don't like necessarily like that, I, I don't hate that attention necessarily. You know, I don't love it in public, but um, so I'm just For sure. you know shy, but. It's really amazing to see people come out, especially, you know, as when you were just saying, it's just like, yeah, when I was in high school, I watched these videos and cause when I was in high school, it would be watching like the state or Stella, um, mm-hmm. or like, you know, Phil Hartman era, you know, SNL to disappear from or escape from yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. perils of high school. So it's cool. It's a, you know, time is a flat circle. I can imagine though that element, cause I'm your age when you were, when you joined college or when you were around in college humor. Um, now, but, um, I can imagine that like the, that element hasn't really gone away from you to some extent. Cause I mean, do you walk down the street now and still have people kind of, I mean, maybe not so much right now cause of the pandemic, but, uh, been a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you still have that uh, now? I think I, you know, yeah, it like, you know, four times a year. It's mostly mm-hmm. at airports. Yeah. Um, but, but it's. Yeah, it's 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 it happens. It happens. I feel like in LA and in New York, people are less inclined 
or less um, sort of, I guess, motivated or excited to see a celebrity, let alone a celebrity, because we're so um, kind of – we're just constantly desensitized to it. <clears throat> but when I travel through – I mean ev- everywhere from you know obscure islands in Costa Rica to uh, you know – Hawaii to, you know, airports to, you know, in passing through the Midwest on a, you know, on a layover, people definitely, you know, will be like, oh shit. But that, that heyday is kind of, it's not over, but there's a new class with, you know, the, the Grant O'Briens and Rekha Shankars and, you know, Raphael's of the world who I'm sure are getting inundated in a whole new way. I mean, Brennan Mulligan with Dimension 20 and Emily Axford. I mean, it's, it's, um, that whole, that new class in a way where they have a reach in a way that I don't think that we didn't, you know, back then I didn't have an Instagram, but now they have Instagram dropout, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and they've got all these kind of shows that are immersive discord. And there's a, there's a community that back then we just had the comment board where we'd be like, Oh fuck, people are making fun of Sarah's haircut. And, you know, <laughs> saying, you know, streeters hot. I don't know, whatever. And it, would, it wouldn't be – it wasn't the same, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's 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 wonderful. And I'm sure they're getting crazy inundated. Now, we kind of talked about it like a couple seconds in the beginning there. But um, you mentioned are you're a bit of a shy guy in like in general or is it – I think – I mean with my buddies or with – you know, when I'm at a bar and I'm, you know, feeling loose, that's yeah, one yeah. thing. But like, you know, I, I'm – uh, if you come up, to, if a stranger comes up to me, is like you mean or you, dude? I think you're so funny. I'm I'm very like you know I'm Mr. Like humble. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny. One time, this pretty young kid came up to me. and was like, big fan, man. I'm a really big fan. Wow, big fan. I was like, all right, cool. And I was I don't know. I was terse with him. I felt really bad. Just like mm. on my phone. I was you know fighting with my girlfriend or whatever it was and at the airport and on the way to catch a flight. And I look over and there's actually a, a maybe a. No, it wasn't an, in the airport that I look over. A week later, I look over when I'm at the movie theater at a billboard, and he's the kid in um, uh, that Jonah Hill skate, the 90s, mid-90s. Oh, mid-90s. He was like yeah, the yeah. mid-90s kid. No way. <laughs> I like, yeah. I was like, That's oh, I should have cool. you know, stopped for another minute. He was he was very, very sweet. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's an unnatural thing for people to come up to you and say like, yo, um, but uh, I'm I'm humbled by it. I think it's very... It's fucking cool. It's fucking cool that you can, you know, yeah. you touch people. Yeah. Now, when you were like when we were younger, like where did all this come from? This kind of want to like did you always want to be an entertainer or in some sort of fashion? Did you want to create? Did you want to direct? Like what was what were your thoughts when you were a kid? Was this I mean, you know, I know funny you said in, you want to be famous. <laughs> well, in retrospect, <laughs> I I guess I did want to ultimately make stuff because I yeah. thought that I wanted to like be Robin Williams and John Leguizamo and do the one man shows. And I still yep. fantasize about that and like get the mm-hmm. EGOT for like just creating a world from being one person standing on a stage. I love mm-hmm. theater. I love performing. Once I got a, you know, bit by that and realized I could, you know, elicit emotions from friends and family by doing, you know, what started with like lip syncing La Bamba, you know, <laughs> encouraged by my brother and sister to then, you know, being in high school plays and the like. Um, but I was, always, I was always like making stuff with buddies. Like my, my parents got me my first camcorder when I graduated sixth grade, when I graduated yeah. elementary school <clears throat> and I started, I was nonstop making stuff with buddies, making stuff nonstop. 
And then I got another one when I graduated, uh, when I graduated high school, a newer one. And then it was bringing it to the city. And that's what essentially started my career in a way. Cause I, I had gone to summer camp with Elaine Carroll and Sam Reich and Sam moved to the city and Sam and I started fucking around with that video camera and we were like, shit, there's something here. And Sam was the one who had the brilliant idea to be like, let's make sketches and put them on the internet. And that's, that's yeah, what yeah. started essentially our, you know, our sketch group. Um, excuse me. I just burped right into the <laughs> mic, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, dude, I always wanted to make, you know, I was, I was like the weird shy kid, you know, in the attic playing with action figures and talking to myself. I'd comb my hair in different ways in the mirror and talk as, you know, I'd pretend to be like a weird, creepy dude. I was always making stuff, talking to myself. And yeah. So, and now it's a career. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, there was like. There was a bit of an aspect for me as well when I was a kid growing up. Like, I was really shy. But then when I got into theater, I think when I got – I think it was, like, mid, like end of high school, um, I was always, like, this awkward kind of weird lanky kind of short stubby kind of kid. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really Same. know how to hold – didn't know how to hold myself in a room really. And uh, And then when we got into theater class, I remember, like, one day everyone realized kind of, like, who I was for a second. And it was – and it was really cool. And it was like the one place where I feel like I kind of, you know, be, you know, kind of the goofy. Like, it felt like people were paying attention. And I don't know. It was just. Theater is no joke. Theater groups yeah, yeah. as a kid. Because that, that's what say. I think, you know, I don't want to say saved me. I wasn't in, you know, um, truly <laughs> dire straits. But I. I yeah. Move it, especially moving to a new place. I moved from Potomac, Maryland, which is like the Silicon Valley of the East Coast to yeah, yeah. Uh, Woodstock, New York. I had nobody. And when I saw a local production of Bye Bye Birdie, I was like, I, I could do that. And I was so shy to go in and join the Woodstock Youth Theater, but that became my family. I mean, I did, you know, the two plays a year or whatever they'd put on and became the big fish in the small pond and met wonderful kids, all of whom are ki- – a lot of them are kicking ass, you know, working in, in – if they're not working in like, you know, in front of the camera, they're behind – I know Maggie Levin was one. She directed a Blumhouse piece. She's working with Crooked Highway, Scott Derrickson's crew. They did the Sinister movies and um, Pele Kudrin is a production designer who's killing it, works a lot with Kate Mendy. I mean it's, 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 a, it's a really talented, really killer pool. But that was a valuable place to go and – be yourself. You're like, oh yeah, there's family here. There are other fucking yeah. weird, you know, short stubby, whatever kids that, that were yeah, popular yeah. that were, you know, like had a, a sensuality about them and a charisma and a presence. And I'm like, fuck, I could be cool. I'm cool. I might have that <laughs> fire in me, you know. Did you have uh so you were saying that it was like community theater you joined? Is that what it was? Yeah, the Woodstock yeah. Youth Theater. We had, you know, Beth Lipton was my basically first acting teacher and director, like such a character, a, you know, a, a wild haired, um, feminist who would, you know, I'd, I'd never seen uh, a woman's breast in person, but she would like, you know, breastfeed and yell at us about the blocking when we were in like, you know, when we were in eighth grade, um, while we're like, you know, doing the pineapple song, um, from uh, cabaret. And then eventually <clears throat> I started taking acting classes in Woodstock with, there was a word of mouth class with, uh, with Lola Cohen, who was one of Strasburg's last students. So Lee Strasburg, you know, famous acting teacher. So I got to study with her and then she directed Midsummer Night's Dream and I was Nick Bottom and I was like, and she was a fucking bomb director. And so to work with these two like incredibly strong, um, uh, talented women who would empower and also enforce um, creative 
uh, prowess in all these kids. It was really, really killer. That was like, that was kind of how I, I, you know, I, I started shielding up basically and, and learning yeah, yeah. to break out of the shy shell and, you know, do this for, for fun, for a living, yeah, for fun yeah. for a living. Um, so because, because where I'm from, I'm from, I'm from the West coast. Like I was born, uh, or I actually, I was born in the States and we moved up to Canada. Uh, I I'm from Vancouver Island. Um, yeah, Victoria. I know Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from that little, that little Island that looks like a poo from far away uh-huh, <laughs> on a uh-huh. map. I know and, where you uh, are. Yeah. Uh, now, but then I recently just moved to Newcastle up in, up, uh, over across the pond from you guys. So, yeah. Um, but you're uh, a long way from home. Yeah, well, Mooch traded one island for a plague island, so that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, my fiance, she's uh, she's from here, so um, it was kind of yeah. like, all right, well, let's go back. I got nothing yeah, going on. Yeah, just for love, no big deal. No, yeah, no big love. deal or anything. Um, yeah. But no, I I was gonna say, like, did you guys have um, theater in school? Like, did you have plays and productions and stuff like that put on by the schools and stuff, or was that? Yeah, not a thing I mean, yet? but the, usually the youth theater was the the youth theater was the one that would travel mm. those shows to the high schools. Typically, the oh, high school okay. one one or two times they had their own production but yeah the youth mm. theater was like oh we'll perform at the local high school because it's got the biggest stage, okay which was on yeah, tour yeah. which was my high school was um, it all but, ages where like the were the productions like all ages in relation to like i don't know uh like for instance you were saying you're nick bottom would you have somebody that was playing who was like a 30 year old in the pl- in the production or something no like that? it was the, something it, like that they would do they would do different tiers like different age group productions mm. so they'd have like you know preschool to whatever second grade production of For you sure. know whatever frog and the lily i don't know if that's a real show um uh, wow, the now it three is. golden hairs yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and then and then probably a middle you know uh middle elementary school and then like high school kids so older kids so like the older kids would do like rocky horror and grease and little okay. shop of horrors you know that type yeah, of stuff yeah. and then younger kids would do younger kid shit um yeah so i was you know it was, it was always with kids basically my age which was what yeah, was yeah. really really rad yeah, I had a, I had a, I had a similar situation except we like where I'm from. We had a lot of like uh, we had like a re- newly kind of renovated wing of the high school. Um, it had been there. I say newly renovated. Newly renovated is probably like 15 years old. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but like uh, it, we had like a massive theater, and um, and so we had a big theater program at my school. We were like kind of the hipster, kind of well-to-do kind of high school where everybody wanted to go, but also people love to like be like, "Oh, these fucking guys! Like they're doing everything yeah. that's good," you know. Um, which was kind of cool, but also a little bit weird. But no, that was like my place where I like came to realize like, "Oh, this is kind of this is kind of the stuff I like to do. Like I like to direct," and that's why I found it like so cool that when I started, you know, finding out about your career a little bit more after so many years of kind of being away from you know college humor and all of that jazz um and finding you i was just like oh like he you know he decided to go and direct stuff now like have you always i mean we're we could get to scare me in a second here but like i mean was directing is this your new is this like a path you want to take and like as opposed to acting or are you going to try to like what's your what do you have like a plan there or do you know what i mean like because there's some people that become these sort of auteur filmmakers that started as like actors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to be, um, I, I, I'd love the checks. Uh, yeah. John Favreau, you know, yeah, like yeah. John Favreau is also, he like, um, 
he's so technically proficient and that he's yep. like found his thing. Like he, he's yeah, yeah. obsessed with, and I used to know him. Um, he, he, he's obsessed with the technology side. So he, I, I, you know, unless he's hopping in on a Marvel film or cameoing like very occasionally in that universe or in his own shit, he's probably not going to, you know, often pop up and stuff. Um, I, I, I am, I didn't know that I would become a career director. I've always wanted to act. Like I love what like Mark Duplass does that he can, he can produce or direct HBO shows, Netflix movies. Yeah. And then pop up and act opposite Sarah Paulson for a stretch. Like that would be incredible or even probably more appropriate to what I'm getting into or the world I'd, I'd like to aspire to is Lee Winnell and Taika Waititi is, you know, they're, they pop up in their shit. You voice a character in your Marvel movie, you play Hitler in your Hitler, your like your Hitler film. Um, Lee Winnell (laughs) pops up as a fucking paranormal investigator in the insidious universe and also directs those films um, on occasion. Well, also just, you know, kind of oscillating between, you know, just, just different genre films. That's what I love. Like actor, uh, actor writers who become directors that become actors, directors. I love that. I love yeah, working yeah. with, with actors and just kind of doing, you know, um, fun, fun kind of rewatchable films. So just in kind of realizing what's possible, I'm like, you know, I love the control of directing. I love directing actors. I love the psychology of actors. I used to be one, so I like protecting them. And I also mm. like the idea <laughs> of making stuff that's uh, rewatchable. Yeah, yeah. You know, shit like the stuff that I used to watch as a kid. Like I'm in a hot pursuit right now of Dark Man. I used to love. I wore the Dark Man VHS into the movie. The right? Was the, that the... the the movie? And there were. I'm not talking about two and three with Arnold Vosloo. I'm talking about. Wait, Liam wait, wait. Neeson. We're talking about we're talking about Liam Neeson Dark Man. Yes, Liam Neeson. <laughs> And, and the fact that that hasn't been a, a, a like a reapproached IP is crazy to me. But just as an example, these are you know the types of films I'd watch as a kid, and I'd be like, you know, th- there's something about the color, the pacing, the timing. And I just rewatched it recently. It's you know flawed as it is. I understand why as a 14 year old or yeah. even as a 10 year old, I, I would watch and rewatch that that film. Mm-hmm. Same thing with you know. Um, the Freddy Krueger movies. There's there's there's, yeah. there's a punchiness to them, and so I realize um, it, it's cool to to kind of feel out what I like, what my you know fucking brand is or whatever. Yeah. Um, but also just kind of being myself, you know, still being the guy who will pop on, you know, who will talk to people who won't like shut himself off from his fan base who won't be something that he's not. I tr- like I try I try and not do that, but I also am like I kind of like the idea of being the you know, cool, like, you know, cool as ice, uh, you know, terse on Twitter, horror director. I'm just fucking me. I'm still going to do voices and shit, pop up and, you know, do silly things. And that's, that's what makes me, uh, me, me. <laughs> so horror is kind of like where you like to be. Is that where, is that kind of the area of expertise? So you like far, to sit in or? so yeah. far, I, li- I like feel good stuff too. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to, I see myself eventually, you know, kind of doing, I don't know, something more musical, literally or figuratively or stuff with kids or for kids. I'm talking with an author about a, you know, a kid's book he has. It could be a stop motion animation, like a Nightmare Before Christmas kind of vibe. That, oh, very cool. Really, really fun. So I'm just, I'm kind of open to whatever, you know, I, I had this, this, you know, this stretch of years where I had a directing partner. I did, I didn't quite know what I wanted. You know, I thought, I thought that I wanted what, what we wanted or what he wanted I, yeah, was yeah. to be like a career commercial director. And so when I, you know, when we kind of parted ways, I was like, oh, what's my voice? 
And in that in part of that process was starting to do commercials solo, so finding my own style without you know the aid or relying on somebody. A and then B, you know, finding my voice as a as like a director or creator, someone who's like, yeah. okay, now what do I really want to do? And that was you know that was what led me to the you know the scare me um, of it all. Keep talking. I'm gonna microwave my coffee. I can hear. That's you. totally fine. Um, well, I was gonna ask you a question, so, <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think uh, I I think it's really cool because you were you were mentioning like Taika Waititi and you were mentioning I mean I would say as go so far as to say um, why the hell am I blanking on his goddamn name um, the guy who did Get Out Jordan Peele oh Jordan oh my yeah, god yeah. what a you know cool what I, fucking I mean you yeah know, he probably won't pop I mean he does when he does I think that's yeah, yeah. cool as hell I think it's cool as hell he pops up in Big Mouth and he's doing his the, yeah like, doing Monkey Paw that's fucking rad. I think I think the cool thing about um, well I the cool thing about I think this new I, like but I've been talking to a lot of other creators and stuff like that and we've been talking about this sort of um, these auteur these sort of like auteur filmmakers kind of finding a place onto these streaming services and all that jazz and then we're also uh, then there's also like these sort of directors that you were you were mentioning that were uh, like Taika who's doing who gets like grabbed for everything now but he still has the yeah. time to kind of make his own fucking movies and shit which is amazing because I, I prefer his movies um, more yeah. than you know franchise stuff but I think there's a place now there's like this there's this space outside of a franchise outside of outside of like the the auteur directors that are finding themselves basically making swan songs on Netflix and all that jazz, like Scorsese with, you know, The Irishman or Fincher with, I mean, it's not a swan song, but um, with Mank or whatever, um, you know, we're finding all these areas. And I think there's there's this really cool area that has kind of been opened up. And I would argue right around like Jordan Peele helped open it up. I think Taika helped open it up um, for people like you to find this place where they can find their voice um, in this sort of like, it's not a niche market because it's like, I think it's like there's a there's a level of appreciation now for film that I don't think was as much there as when I was a kid, um, and that's yeah. what I love is because I can find guys like you who I grew up watching and then see them kind of like find this place in in the world of directing or world of creating that they can have their voice and I don't feel like there was a lot of that. Um, back when I was a kid and definitely probably back when you were younger as well. There was but definitely I, the career director thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you know, this comes from the, the, the whole career, right? I mean, directors had, they had uh, sort of salary multi-picture deals or, you know, I, I don't know if it was a, 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 a weekly salary to be the, the studio director to just kind of knock out several films and just kind of, you know, be the career dude. And how it's evolved has been... It's just been cool to be able to be like – to be able to reference actors who are also directors. Like Cassavetes was, is such a great example of that. I mean the dude was a, a rad gritty director of incredible independent films but also was playing the fucking husband in Rosemary's Baby. I mean how incredible is that? But for me to be able to reference you know, Taika and be able to reference like Lee Winnell to my reps – you know, to like the team behind me who's like, we, you know, want to see if you want to, you know, pitch on this, you know, X, Y, Z thing. I always can remind them, just remember the goal. And the goal is there's now this subgenre or sub or yeah. sub niche or niche of, of, yeah, of creators who perform in their own stuff, but also, 
you know, are, I don't want to say necessarily activists. I consider myself, um, you know, uh, an equalist feminist, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and not wanting to whitewash anything that I do, if I can mm. absolutely help it being the yeah. white filmmaker here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but just people who actually have a head on their shoulders and have some morals and want to do right in the world, but also want to make stuff that's just like where you can escape, you know, yeah. where you can, where you can just, you know, if you're in high school, you can turn my shit on and forget about the state of the world or, you know, that feels kind of different, you know? Do you feel like, um, because you, you know, you got to make pitches and shit for your, your projects and stuff to kind of get all the money and things like that. Um, are you finding that, um, that the, you know, these big, these production companies, I don't know, whatever, whatever production company you're going to pitch to are more willing to lend a hand to say, you know, guys like you, because they have, we have had people within the last, I'd say, seven years that have kind of paved the way for, you know, those sort of projects that, you know, you did with, say, Scare Me or whatever. Do you kind of get it what makes I'm saying? It, yeah, it makes it easier to, uh, let me know if this doesn't answer your question, but it, it makes it easier to do my shit. I mean, this is, this is how, Scare Me happened very quickly once I decided no one was going to spoon feed me any kind of, any modicum of success. I got to pave my own way to a degree, despite the fact that I'm working on what I'm working on. Um, but I was able to reference Get Out in my Scare Me pitch deck to investors yeah, yeah. and to say, look, this, there's a movie that touches on this social commentary, this this problem, this systemic issue that needs to be addressed. Here's a different systemic issue that has to do with the power tripping, the emasculation of the you know the fractured white male, especially in the the face of a woman's greatness, yeah, um, yeah. and power dynamics and gender. And so people kind of go, "Oh shit, right another another social commentary or uh, that unfortunate term of elevated horror." But I was able to kind of ride that wave and go, well, if you're looking for another one, you're looking for one that doesn't cost anything. It's two people in a house. Here's an option. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, yes, it, it um, you know, folks like Jordan, Taika, Lee, for me to be able to reference those guys is incredible. But for, for someone like Jordan Peele and for what Get Out did, you know, Get Out will, I think officially, it's safe to say, did, did kind of change in a tectonic way this field so that, you know, um, we kind of opened up the social commentary horror or just made it its own sort of its own niche, uh, its own, its own thing in a way and, and made it this exciting thing that you can, this is, this is why people are using the term elevate. It's like, Oh, horror's saying something. All horror movies always said something. Yeah. Yeah. Every good one anyway. But now, you know, especially with the black lives matter movement and the fact that you had Jordan, like kick out that awesome story. Um, it's you know it's it's hot again you know yeah yeah um, yeah now you've got you've got a couple i mean you i'm sure you got you've been talking about it. do you have uh, like an ambition to keep telling these types of stories that kind of the the what were you what were you calling it the um God, the enhanced what did you say the elevated oh like uh, picture, like yeah. elevated horror yeah not, necess- not necessarily i mean it's not i i can't i don't i don't think i can do what ari aster can do even though he'd be the first one to be like please don't call it elevated horror it's it's just <laughs> it's a it's it's a movie that stinks of me this is my brand and niche and you know the, the subject is what the subject is it happens to be or skew horror um i i would uh, i'll make Anything, if I can, if I can feel what that thing is or what that urgency is, you know, so, and, and, um, sometimes it can be abstract, you know, if, if it's, if the, if it's something I understand and it's a story I'm stoked on and I have to write it and I have to make it, 
that's the good sign. The, the situation you don't want to get into is making something for the sake of making something or making something when someone's like, yo, I'll give you a million dollars to go make X. Well, that's awesome. And that would be great. And that's all I've ever wanted was for someone to say, we'll give you this to make, you know, why. But if there's no urgency to it, then you're going to end up with the 30% of Rotten Tomatoes and people going to, you know, having made something that makes you forget you know, forget about it. Like I, I hate walking into movies that have employed hundreds of people and then forgetting about it the next day or the moment I yeah. walk out of the theater. I don't want to make those kinds of movies, but I do want to make shit too, that you can turn your brain off and enjoy and, you know, rewatch. I've been studying like a lot of those, those films that you've been talking about recently and, um, and kind of trying to like, for instance, I was watching a, you know, a video essay on, the Terrence Malick film, The New World, or A New World last night, uh, the Pocahontas story or whatever, and it had this, like, heavy production value, and it was like a painting, but there was, it was like a hot mess as a ge- in, in general for, like, the budget and stuff like that, but um, I, I don't know what I was trying to say with that. I was going somewhere. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, <laughs> well, about there being no urgency, I mean, that's a thing, and, and for Terrence yeah. Malick, there's, for, for him, I'm sure there you know, in his heart, I'm sure there was some thing that he had his finger on. He was like, oh, yeah. I know I want to just kind of be in that world. But it might have just been I want to paint I want to paint that world and I want to meander yeah. in that world and I want to make a kind of, you know, piece that feels um, within that world. And that's, you know, that's that's fine. That's his art. Yeah. Kudos to him for getting the thing made. But yeah. yeah, you know, for me, it needs to be crystal clear. I'm also I'm dense, A, and B, I'm a feeler. So I really need to feel what I'm reading and feel what I'm making or else it's like – I mean that's why I I have such a tormented relationship with the commercial world is because like I like money because I like security. You know, yeah, I don't like yeah. materialistic things. I don't need yeah. new sneakers. But like I, I like the security, the financial security. But more importantly, like if I don't believe in the spot promoting the toilet paper or the cat litter or whatever the fuck it is – then I'm going to have the worst time and you're probably going to have a bad product. How do you, know? how do you, how do you feel about, you know, having to deal? Cause that, that's part of the reason why I kind of, you know, had so many goddamn panic attacks in all my film studies classes, because I just like, I can't get into filmmaking where I'm at. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not in said place at said time to do said thing. Um, you know, how do you feel about having to, you know, play with that sort of like well i need financial you know stuff to make the things that i like to do and but like i fucking hate doing some of this shit to you know get the things that i want to do get made or whatever you know what i mean like how do you feel about that exactly i mean i I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit yeah i mean you're i'm what eight years seven years older than you you know i mean you're to have taken the class and to have an awareness of what you want is one mm. thing. The other thing is the priority is food on the table and a roof over your head. Yeah, yeah. And I had the desk job until I was until I was I think I left college humor or they quote unquote fired us laid us off. So I took the severance because I didn't go to LA. I wasn't part of that contingency. Um around 30 years old. And so I, I had paid my dues all through my twenties. I mean, my late teens, all through my twenties and my early thirties between doing extra work to desk jobbing it and everything else. And, and through that desk job process at college humor, I call it, even though it didn't feel like a desk job, but it was, 
I met people that gave me the opportunity to direct commercials. And when I left, I was like, okay, here's this new thing. So you'll know what that new thing is when it opens up for yourself. But you got to you gotta pay your dues. I mean, that's just the thing. Like I, I have so much of my 20s and early 30s sucked. I mean, so much of my 20s and early 30s and mid-30s sucked work-wise. Um, and, you know, and only now at 37, after I, you know, um, essentially emptied my retirement account to to help make or contribute to making my first film. That was the big leap that I took to make my shit. So you you're gonna you should have panic attacks about it. And yeah, yeah. that should also <laughs> light the it should light the fire to make stuff that yeah. will be your escape hatch. You know, um, but you're you're successful every day if you can put you know bang out a few pages or make a thing, even if it's like an fucking audio you know a, a meditation parody or you know whatever the fuck it's it's um it's crucial you just make make stuff cuz even though the world is inundated and everybody has the technology to make decent sounding or looking stuff not everybody's good and not everybody has your story and knows what you know and etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. clip that we're going to clip that i'm going to make a note brendan clip that mm-hmm. and post <laughs> um yeah I, I i agree with you i i think uh i i i mean i found my place you know doing this show and you know i had a i had troubles trying to figure out what my intentions were with it and what i wanted to do with it can i make money off of it probably not because i would still argue that like doing podcasting isn't you know a financial financially as viable as say you know putting a shitload of money into a movie and then you know making you know making some money back do you know what i mean and whereas like and not everybody's joe rogan that's that's the other thing too (laughs) so um but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's it's always been like I, I always wanted to be like I wanted to be a filmmaker. I always thought like I loved I loved making, you know, skits with my friends and doing stuff like that. But I always needed a motivation like I needed somebody to drive me. But it's always been fine. I mean, you mentioned you had a you had a partner in crime, I guess, for a while to do like directorial stuff. And I I've never really found that person, I guess. I don't know. It's like I feel like you kind of need that to like find your place at first and then i get like you said find your style which everybody's got their own dude everybody's got their own journey that's that's a big lesson i've learned in life everyone's got their own journey and i needed that other person i needed that lean on um but i also i probably should have listened a year earlier than before we kind of parted ways to i I guess i'll I'll be fair to myself i actually I, i i was voicing my sort of like my out, my runway to an out. Um, and I was also doing, you know, I, w- I was doing more than just like the career directing thing, but everybody's journey is different. And, you know, yeah, like yeah, you, you yeah. found, you found a thing in like doing the solo act that dude, I've always want, <laughs> I always wanted to start that way. That's how I wanted to start. Um, and not everybody does it. And I also didn't necessarily think, you know, when I was a kid, when I was like dreaming of, you know, maybe not directing Robocop, but being Robocop, yeah. <laughs> that I would end up, you know, directing commercials and that that would be how I'd keep the lights on. But it was it was a means to where I am today. It kept me, you know, kept me fed and happy and, you know, um, you know, chubby in my New York days and, you know, basically has led me to the um, the insulated place to be good at what I do. I have fucked up so much and made so many rash decisions and let my ego get in the way so many times. It's a constant lesson, um, to grow. Uh, but, uh, I wouldn't be here if I didn't do the stuff I quote unquote didn't want to do. Yeah. 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 I wanted to do it at the time. I was happy to do it at at the time. I mean, happy enough. Um, but 
you know, you, you've, you've got your own way. The, the, the most tragic thing is when people just sort of ignore that, the desire to do their own shit entirely. And they just, they're just like, no, I'll just keep my head down and keep, you know, doing God knows what sweeping. Yeah. It was funny. I moved out here and I was kind of like, I was kind of like, what the hell am I going to do? Cause I don't have a job and I haven't had a job for like almost a year now and in part for a bunch of different things. I mean, COVID is just part of it. You know, it's just difficult finding a job right now. Um, but now I've kind of like resided into, you know, really trying to focus on trying to elevate or create like a portfolio with this and also, you know, talking to people that I really like to talk to, talk to people that inspire me. So that way, in turn, I can record all this shit and put it on the Internet and inspire other people. And that's something that I think I've always wanted to do um, with any sort of work that I do in life. And I think that um, you yourself, too, probably can relate to that as well, like. I don't know. It, it's interesting being a creator of any kind and then and then like, I don't know, finding inspiration in other people to then. It's just weird. Like the, the layout of the show is just essentially like I talk to other people that I inspire me to then help inspire other people and myself, too, when I listen back to all the tapes. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, and that's great. That's that's that. Remember, we were talking about that thing, like being able to yeah, put yeah. your finger on that thing there that urgency. Yeah. Well, that's what your urgency is. If you were just yeah, like, yeah. I don't know why I want to talk to people. I'll just get on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That sucked, but you know what that thing is. You have that yeah, yeah. urgency. It's why you're doing this. Is your drive? Maybe we've covered this, and I'm just kind of losing myself a little bit here. But um, for me, when I you know create something, a lot of times it comes from like fear of you know FOMO, fear of missing out a little bit. Do you find that? Because you said you know because that's something that I struggle with. Is this? It's like every day, you know, I got to sit down and you got to create stuff. Do you ever find that a little bit exhausting to some extent to just feel? Oh, it is. It is. You've, you've also got to step away. I've realized the value of stepping away from the keyboard or the notebook or whatever and taking a walk, even if you're in lockdown, like do whatever you're allowed to do. But there's, I can't express how crucial it is to like go look at other people and, and, um, you know, people watch, see a mountain, take a drive because that feeds the that feeds the process. Even if you're not a writer or a creator, but it's just a human being, a step away from anything that you're doing and move your body and get blood flow going and you know breathe into your lungs and your gut. That's so important, especially now, and it's a big it's a big reason why we're having all kinds of health problems. You know, the all all of our lower back problems are creeping up to our shoulders and our neck because of you know this past year and and um, you know notwithstanding the mental sort of hit we've all taken in the brain fog we have this past year in particular has been exhausting. It won't be exhausting. It'll, it'll be, it'll be, um, it'll be, uh, uh, we'll be inundated with stimuli when we're out of this. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think we'll yeah. all be, you know, we'll all be trying heroin. Um, <laughs> and <clears throat> so, you know, I'm going to try everything. Um, <laughs> no, I've never tried anything, but I will try okay. everything. Um, um. <laughs> no, I won't. Yeah, I will. Uh, light up the spoon. Is that how you do it? Anyway, um, I think so. so. I think yeah. that's one way you can do it. I, I saw Pulp Fiction once, but um, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I think it's it's crucial to be able to, yeah, put the work in, work harder than you ever worked before, work harder than anybody else, and you know the whole thing. Um, but and not give up, but also like take a break, take a walk, because that inspiration. That's why they always talk about like you know, oh, I had this great idea in the shower. Well, there's a reason you've stepped away because you're not ship. doing anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Do you um, do you have a sort of uh thing that you do to kind of step away that really kind of like helps you get into that mode? 
Mine's run. Like I go, I go for a run generally. Oh, that that was everything. I used to live yeah. by Central Park, not mm. next to it. I was on the east side when I lived in New York years ago, and I I would make myself do you know one one point the only time only time I ever did this I did an eight mile, but I would do at least three miles every weekend when I was in the best shape, you know, way back when. And now it's you know popping in a podcast, usually the postmortem podcast with Mick Garris. If he's got a, a new one, because Mick Garris, I'm gonna write that is, down, <laughs> dude, an awesome horror director. He did everything from Critters and Psycho sequels to you know working in television. He's a, he's helmed the Masters of Horror series and Nightmare Cinema. Yeah, yeah. But he interviews and he's connected to every major filmmaker you can imagine. So he's interviewed. You know, everyone from Carpenter and John Badham to Elijah Wood and, you know, um, uh, Axel Carolyn, you know, who does uh, Blind Manor. Um, so uh, I'll pop in an interview with people that I love, especially when they're talking about writing. And I'll go for a walk. So I get the, I get the geniuses in my ear and then I'm also like, you know, I live by a park. So I've also got the trees in my eyes and the, you know, geniuses in my ears. I like that inundation. And that's it. And that's inspiring, you know. That's cool. That's cool. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Excuse me. I burped. Um, no, I did God, too. I had early, some, so we're some, even. Terrible, some terrible fucking shit. There's, the problem up in the UK is they're just I – miss, I, miss, I miss the U.S., and because I used to go visit like every summer because all my family was in the U.S. and uh, the the U.S. has like all these types of snacks and it's great. Canada near the end of me living there started getting Cheez Its and I was like fuck yes because I would always have to go to I'd always have to go to Seattle but there's no snacks up in the U.K. other than like that's not chips true you've got like yeah you've got like weird chips like you know corn crackers and prawn sweet, cocktail sweet nips. Yeah, prawn beef, cocktail, right. Beef exactly. and onion. That's what I'm talking about. I had a bag. So I took a chance and I bought some – I bought like a bag of, of uh, I don't know, some shit. Uh, just a bag of like – because they have bags so – because there's, they're, they're like healthy conscience, conscious here. And oh, no. they, they don't like having In the UK? like big – Really? Yeah, yeah. They don't like to have like big – well, I mean jokes, you know. I mean everybody drinks, but you know, who am I kidding? Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, they have like big bags – of chips but Uh in the big bag it's just a big garbage bag full of tiny bags of chips so to not like have people sit down on the couch and like eat like a full bag of chips um so over here we so i went bag filled with different chips (laughs) (laughs) dude it's so good so every time we come home i usually like open them up and i just throw it all over the kitchen just like fucking you know um but uh i had i i I don't know why we're talking about this but it's fun um but uh i had like a i I got this weird pack. There's like seven different kinds of one of them was beef and onion. My God, dude, it tastes like burnt. It just tastes terrible. Like when you burp it out, you just like, yeah. Ah. Oh, you know? boy. Anyways, so anyways, no, nah, that's right. It was kind of a weird tangent, but I felt like, you know, you, you can, you know, we probably be been there in some capacity in life. Yeah. <laughs> I've, we've all had a beef and onion chip, dude. <laughs> oh, um, did you have a beef and onion chip? Oh no. <laughs> bad boy. You're a bad boy. I was going to say, uh, sorry, getting away from that weird tangent. Um, so you were talking about kind of, uh, trying to find your style, um, outside of that sort of, you know, you know, uh, that partnership that you had, do you mm-hmm. feel like you have, you know, cause you can name some of the filmmakers that, you know, I really admire in life, um, who all have that first film that they kind of like do and mm. you can find little aspects of it as time goes on. 
to you know harken back to that first film where they're trying to find themselves do you do you feel like um scare me you're starting to do you feel like you've already found your stuff there like you've already found your style with that film or do you think that you're going to you know like i the reason why i'm referencing this because i've been reading a lot about wes anderson recently and Mm. i saw his first film bottle rocket like so many years ago and when i watch that film i'm like there are so many things that aren't in his later films that are in this film Mm. and there's so many things that are Do you know? Are, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like, are you? Do you feel like this film is a good sort of stepping? I mean, it is a good stepping stone because I really liked it. Um, you know, to finding that style, or do you feel like you found it and now you've made scare me? I mean, I guess everybody's evolving, so who really, you know, it's kind of a yeah. Dumb question, I mean, it? I I, uh, I think everything you make is a step towards figuring your you know your style out. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know. I don't know how to answer that beyond yes. I mean, I, I really do think again. I think everything you do is is uh, how you hone. Um, like even on 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 commercial jobs, I was fortunate enough to work with Jay Farrow on a bunch of like DiGiorno pizza commercials, and that was cool because they were supposed to be funny, and we have a we really got on. Mm. Um, is this Jay, Jay Farrow? I, Jay, Jay Farrow from SNL. Yeah, yeah. No shit. And, and That's so cool. Yeah, we did we did a, an awesome campaign together. And it was, you know, e- even be, you know, even though we had to do this kind of bright sort of, you know, tied clean um commercial style within that, I could elicit or enact my kind of absurdist, you know, vibe through Jay. Um yeah, we yeah. could, you know, I I could bring a little bit more of that out with him and then, you know, of course the client takes the piece and they bogart it and whatever but it was actually pretty pretty close to my sensibility and with scare me i mean yeah i mean you know i i did pretty much everything i um i set out to do within the confines of our budget and our time um mm-hmm. i knew i wasn't going to go into that shoot with like rotating head uh you know camera heads and um, yeah, yeah. crazy lens flares and insane action yeah. that we'd have three days to kind of work out i knew that um in my kind of tempered style and tone, I guess, you know, specific to that movie, I, uh, yeah, I sort of, I realized I like holding on shots. I like favoring performances. I like letting the actor do more work than the camera. But mm. I also a- am really stoked on the idea of doing, you know, some fucking wild action film, so long as you're feeling something, so long as yeah. you're truly with the with the actors you're truly with the characters and everything yeah. like, again means something it's not meaningless yeah, yeah. It, it you're really with them um moving over to the film scare me uh terrific it was amazing thank you <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for um i was kind of uh i i'm a big fan of theater as well um unfortunately i didn't have like all the money in the world to go and see it when i was a kid um but we Same. had like really cool we had a really cool um kind of local theater really close to my house growing up and it was like in an old church and um they didn't always have like a lot of money and uh but I still but they still put on a good show and um the one thing that I realized there when I was a kid and then I could relate it to film um I am going to make a reference from Quentin Tarantino to your film scare me but uh um, okay but uh there okay. is this sort of <laughs> there is this sort of um uh like uh what i have it in my notes let me i used a word and i want to <laughs> um elysium suspension of disbelief 
mm. with a theater production. When you walk into, I've talked about this on the show a lot. When you walk into a theater, you'll see, you know, in the center, you'll see a big box. You'll see two boxes stacked on top of each other and then two boxes next to it. And you'll be like, oh, um, what's that? And it's whatever the actors kind of make it, right? And generally, in that sort of context, you can kind of suspend this idea of disbelief that it is um, that it's a table when you walk in. That's a table and chairs, right? Um, and with Scare Me, what I really appreciated about it, about it, and especially you talking about theater and your love for theater um, and growing up and being a part of it, was that this film has so much theater in it. And um, and you have to create a sort of suspension of disbelief and and kind of think in your head, oh, there is you're talking about the actors are talking about, you know, something being in this shot that's not really there. But the angle is there for you as the audience member to kind of pretend like it is there yourself. So you're on this sort of, you know, ride like I can I, you know, I I think that this film reminds me a lot of like Quentin Tarantino's like Hateful Eight. And I love that film because it is basically a people keep referencing Hateful Eight, by the way. I have to see it. People like you never seen it. You you must have seen it. Yeah. So I I need to. I'm sorry. Anyway, I, I, I do need to I do need to check it out. Because it's it's people have been like that was a contained Tarantino movie. that's dialogue driven. You should check that out. I mean, he had he only had seventy million more dollars, but yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of that did go to like his cameras. Like he was pretty hell bent on hit the yeah. the the reason why that a reason why like that was such a because he is going to turn it in. I think he's like worked on trying to turn it yeah, into like a dude, theater the play. Theater. Yeah, play. Um, so I don't know. And that's something that I really like. And his films have always kind of captured that sort of, you know, dialogue, that snippy dialogue. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, did you really think about that sort of like, was theater in my, I mean, obviously theater was in mind when you were creating this film, but was it sort of, um, (laughs) like, were you being, were you thinking like, oh, this is, this could be a production on a stage or something like, cause I also think of, uh, have you ever seen the, uh, not the film, but have you ever seen the production of a, a woman, the woman in black? No, mm. I'd love very, to. Very similar to your film as well, except less funny. It's quite fucking scary. Um, yeah. if you ever come out to the UK, I swear to God, I'll buy you a ticket and we can go see it together. Cause it's plays every fucking year and it is my i've seen it like three times it's scary because there's a woman with leprosy in it (laughs) and she like walks it's like a fucking disney ride dude it's a play within a play within a play kind of thing it's really really it's really trippy yeah yeah well if you're ever out here man and you can drink at the theaters too which is pretty cool so um okay but um no man i think there is some there's some really cool sort of uh, elements that you've got going on here that interplay with theater. And I want to know, like when you were writing the script, was that in completely intentional or were you kind of just like, this is a movie and I want to make it about people imagining or having like the tropes of like the horror genre kind of like turned on its head a little bit. Um, was, I what didn't was kind think of the about, processor? I mean, I didn't think about the, the, <clears throat> it being a play potentially in the future. I'm, now I'm just kind of like, this is a no brainer. Um, and actually Emily, Emily Gatto was the first one I think to, to mention she's an acquisition to shutter. And she was like, this could so easily be adapted for the stage. And I was sort of like, Oh no shit. Um, the whole thing kind of came, 
Was sorry, that... go ahead. Because uh, all you need is like lights. That's all you'd need is like just yeah, some, like, some like, dude with sound some like design. Rate. Yeah, yeah. You could hire one musician who's really good at like the you know the five different you know instruments yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. you know mixing and swelling and all that stuff. But I, I didn't I didn't think about the play aspect. I just I knew that from a selfish standpoint, I wanted to make something to act opposite an awesome actor, an awesome actor. So I wanted to get out of the you know, whatever commercial directing world, take a break to, to perform with other actors, a B to direct something that was sort of a challenge in its own right to make something out of this, uh, to make something out of this, you know, this, this world, this contained world. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I wrote to my, I wrote to my resources and the angle in getting the thing off the ground wasn't just, Okay, the Me Too shit is coming to a uh, to a hilt. Um, almost all my heroes, from Weinstein, who's responsible for some of the greatest films or distributing some of the greatest films I've ever seen, certainly my formative years, to even like Aziz Ansari, you know, whatever the outcome of that situation ended up being, um, I knew there was an urgency to you know me as a white mid thirties dude who's had weird kind of icky competitive feelings of all kinds. I wanted to explore it as it pertained to gender, and so that's why it was. That's why the whole thing had an urgency, or that was the urgency to it, and why it all happened so quickly. So the angle to the whole thing was the social commentary side, and then by the way, I'm going to make this horror movie, this anthology horror movie that never leaves the campfire, where you never see the stuff we created out of thin air. And that's an abstract, an abstract kind of a concept, but when people see it and they kind of go like, oh, okay, no shit. They're like – it's almost like an improv movie or whatever. And I came out of a world you know, doing theater games and everything else in, in – in, um, especially at the New Actors Workshop. You know, this conservatory program doesn't exist anymore, but where Paul Sills is one of my teachers and you'd create space out of nowhere. His mom was, um, was Viola, Viola Spolin and you know, we do fucking – Spolin games and, you know, we create worlds and like, you know, as if we're really holding the telephone and really, you know, seeing stuff, creating stuff. And that was also, by the way, how I would talk to myself in the mirror and play with my action figures when I was a kid. And I, I, I had a hunch that it would be effective. And so yeah. there you go. Yeah. And how did, I mean, I guess we kind of touched on a little bit, but how did it all, how did Scare Me start? How did the project start for you exactly? It might be a long kind of wins story, but um, you said it also kind of oh. went by fast. I, I'll hit the bullet points of it. Yeah, I mean the um, you know, I was I was pretty fucking upset with what was going on, you know, um in the in the world. Um I started writing in April of twenty eighteen and we were shooting in um we were shooting in January of twenty nineteen. I wrote the script in three days because I just was hammering, hammering, hammering Holy out. Shit. And I'll I'll explain a piece of why it got so fast. Um <clears throat> I knew pretty much the beginning, middle, and end, and that the middle was mostly going to be comprised of old ideas that I had that I would dust the cobwebs off of, some of which were like Venus was an old script I wrote 30 pages of. Um, the troll idea was based on, you know, my wanting to show off the fact that I like doing that voice and, you know, that I can walk <laughs> on my, you yeah, know, yeah. really low to the ground. Yeah, um, yeah. And that I also wanted to create these vehicles for these actors, um, specifically an actress that wouldn't play in a sexualized role, but would they get to do shit that she was, you know, wasn't ever really seen doing, you know, previously, um, you know, playing ugly and playing a kid and playing old man and, you know, being up on up high and down low and all over. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing happened very quickly because I essentially, you know, and I made this thing with, again, the urgency of my being upset about this stuff, but also making it relatable, but not making a preachy film. I want to make a genre film. These movies make their money back. Typically the horror community is very forgiving yeah, yeah. and, um, you don't need a lot of money to do this. This is again, yeah, this yeah. is a house we'll, you know, all shack up together and then, you know, brave the blizzards and, uh. And um, turn the lights on. We had one lighting source and just like fucking act, you know, just shoot the performances. What was the I mean, I, I know you keep mentioning that you were like so frustrated. So that's why it kind of drove you. What was kind of like the biggest trigger, I guess, for you to kind of sit down and just pamper this thing out? Oh, because I was I didn't want to. Like I said, I mean, I, I was totally turned off by the concept or the idea, the outlook in my career that I would keep having to pitch on you know, winning some opportunity to make a film when I'd never made a film before. And I'd now, after again, going back into like, you know, having your ass handed to you and paying your dues, I'd not only been background actors on every possible level film and TV show you can possibly imagine, but I directed every different kind of genre thing you can ever imagine at College Humor for regardless of how, you know, shitty the quality in some cases they were. I've directed commercials. I directed a Netflix series that will never see the light of day that Matt Damon produced with um with Peter Berg. What um, the fuck? Yep. In, in in Vancouver. Um and that's a that's a story that's a whole other story. It's called the Green Berets Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse. That was an eleven million dollar show that will never see the light of day. Um, what? So I've done, yeah, dude, I've worked with stunts. I've worked with kids. I've worked and it's Ridley Scott did the same thing, not to compare myself, but you know, in his years, by the time he did alien, he's like, yeah, no, I didn't have any problem because I directed every kind of possible commercial you can ever imagine. I didn't have any stress on this film. And so for, for scare me, I was like, I'm going to take a big bet on myself, and that's why I took money out of my 401k from my job at College Humor for seven years. Not all of it, but a big chunk, yeah, yeah. Um, and brought it to a producer friend of mine who I had met, again, through all the years of kicking my own ass and proving myself. And he was like, okay, I believe in you enough to throw in an equal amount of money, and then we went to an investor through my reps, and it was it was a thing. But it was like, make no mistake, even though I'm a you know a, a, a white dude who fully acknowledges his privilege in this world, I still – had to kick my ass into gear, had my ass kicked and paid my dues for, you know, 15, 20 years um, to get to making a film that I have not made money on. That's just basically a calling card. And where it finally paid off was having made that and showing that to producers, showing that to buddies for feedback and then getting the opportunity to pitch on Werewolves Within, which is my next movie, a way bigger movie. And, um, you know, that's... uh, I think by the time this, I think by the time this airs, there should be a um, a first look uh, for images and a little announcement about it. So, well, we'll have to have you, you back on. You'll be able to include in your interview. Well, we'll have you yeah. back on for that one for sure, man. This is uh, this is pretty awesome. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, how, I I don't want to <clears throat> mispronounce her name. Is it Aya or yeah, Aya? Yeah, Aya. Aya. I only ever really became aware of her uh, in since her performance in The Boys as Stormfront. And uh, in that show, she scared the shit out of me. Yeah, she's scary. And uh, in this movie, she scared the shit out of me. <laughs> what What was it kind of uh, – because you said you really wanted to work with an actress that was like – I mean just blatantly saying it really fucking good. Um, yeah. What kind of drew you towards her? What was that – how did that as – as a director, what was like, hey, I want to work with her. 
she's the most famous, most talented actress that I know personally. Mm, and mm. that and that was that was the truth of it. There there was actually there was a list of actresses that I have known personally. I've worked with a lot of incredible actresses. Um I uh, had the leg up because not only did I know her through her husband for many years, Josh, whose name is also Josh, but um she is from the area that I wanted to shoot in. So my 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 basically my proposition to her was, "Hey, you just finished, you know, years and years playing Gretchen on You're the Worst." You, you you just want to make stuff. This was before she got the boys, obviously. Do you want to come, you know, you can want to come do a little movie at home where you can sleep in your own bed at night. And she was like, okay, yeah. You know, <laughs> if there's no sex scenes, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing <laughs> gratuitous. And I was like, that's the whole point. This is, this, yeah. that's the opposite of what I want. I want to showcase, you know, everything that you can do. And um, it was a no brainer too, because especially between her and Chris Red, who's like killing it on SNL, these are two live performers. These these performers are bold and they're collaborative and um, unafraid. And that is that's exactly the energy that you need on the on on a movie like this. Really, fucking anything. And so it was a no brainer. It was yeah, a no brainer. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did. She was phenomenal to work with, and yeah, I love her dearly. Do you see yourself working with her again in the future? Oh yeah, I would. I'd love to. Yeah, I would yeah. love to. Oh my god, yeah. it'd be a dream. I think it'd she's be, up there. Ever since like uh, I saw her in Stormfront, I was like, holy shit! I was like this because I I started I started watching the boys like when it first came out. I think I plowed through it in the first season, <clears> like ready to go, and then she was just this character that came out of nowhere. And yeah. I was like, who is this? Who's this woman? <laughs> like, yeah. what other work has she done? Like, um, and then when I found out that she was in your film, I was like, OK, this is going to be good because I knew I knew kind of your chops. And I was kind of like, I wasn't really aware. I knew that, like, when I when I started to kind of watch the first couple of minutes of the film, your film, Scare Me, I was like, oh, she's like doing a similar like aggressive sort of style that she was doing with Stormfront, but also like, um, you know, adding another level to like a, a level to it that I didn't like, I wasn't um, fully aware of because I'm not used to her work. Right. I, I wasn't fully aware that she was going to do, do you know what I mean? I, because this film like subverts this sort of um, like the, it, you know, it tackles, you know, gender um, God, what is it? Gender roles. Right. And, mm-hmm. And so, you know, and her role in Storefront is definitely like a bit, you know, it doesn't really tackle that. It tackles other things. I don't know if you've watched it. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. But but um, no, this film was really with her in it was just uh, it was great because you guys both fed off each other so well. Um, and it was something that I really appreciated about it. Um, because when you have two people in a room, you obviously want them like a, a film where you're having two people in a room. And that's and that's partly why I mentioned, you know, a hateful eight, because I was like. Everybody in that movie, every character in those scenes, because there's only there's eight people um, and they're all in a cabin together in the middle of a blizzard and um, and they're all interacting all the time. Everybody's talking. And I knew that when I when I want to watch like something that's theatrical or, you know, or something like that, where it is in a singular space, you know, like like Reservoir Dogs, because I wanted to be Quentin Tarantino when I was in like. You know, my first year of high school, I tried to recreate all his fucking movies and shit. So that's why I really appreciate it about your film. So thanks, man. I really. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. I really appreciate yeah. that. I, f- I finished it like, I think like five minutes before we got on. Oh, amazing. I, oh, good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, This part might just be for me because I don't know if people really want to stick around for spoilers. But this is just a question that I had in my mind. So in the film, 
you have this thing where you're you're doing you know the let's scare each other type of thing um the film uh fucking flips on you <laughs> and um it uh it was fucking frightening and it was um I don't know, like, was your intention... Because here's the thing. When I'm watching this film, I'm seeing two characters who are exhaustively kind of coming up with stories to come and in, like, a competition sort of way. Um, and it and it, it becomes a lot. It is a, it is a lot to kind of, like, take on. You're, you're taking on all these personalities as an audience member. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, this is, like... I'm taking in a lot of, like, good shit, but it's, like, it's a lot. And then sort of um, the film slows at that one point, right, when you're in the kitchen. And, um, you know, what was your intention to kind of have everybody feel like, I mean, cause the, I, I, I kind of look at it when you, when these guys started doing the cocaine in that scene, I see that as like, kind of like the fast forward button into like overstimulation to then completely flipping the film on its head. Um, what, what, how did you come up with that ending exactly? What was the, what was the, um, well, I, I mean, you, if you, if you kind of retrace what Fred's kind of vibe is, he's, mm. he's an easily fractured egoistic dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And he's also not, I did originally, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I did originally have him be a light switch psycho. So I, in the sense that like adaptation, you know, Spike Jones's adaptation becomes the movie that it's sort of, um, metifying that it's, uh, uh, that it's, being written about Nicolas Cage's character. And so I like the idea of <clears throat> the different kind of horror movie where rather than the end of this story where they've been telling stories about werewolves sort of manifesting everything else, you know, the, 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 the horror is the result of his emasculation. So <clears throat> he has felt ostracized from the get go. He's felt lesser than, and the kind of tragic piece of it is he's actually been brought out of his skin by this character more or less, but he kind of can't deal. And what puts him over the edge is he just, you know, in his drunken dumbness had to peek at her notebook and saw a couple of notes and got triggered. Um, but I, I brought, uh, I brought the script to potential investor Ray Mansfield, who was early in actually funding on get out and black Klansman. He was like, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to fund your movie, but I will give you some notes. And he was, he That's had awesome nice. notes. Um, yeah. I mean, we talked for an hour. He, that dude is awesome. He, um, he was like, look, I think it's more interesting if you, if you make it a bit more of a, of a muddy line. And he was completely right. Um, because this is a situation that, um, a lot of women find themselves in at the end of a night in their life, um, where they will find themselves in danger. And it's, it's a, yeah. it's a, yeah. um, it's a, this is a, 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 a what's the term? It's just, it's, it's a concept that I hadn't really absorbed, especially as being a man my whole life, obviously that women often operate from this place of, um, protection and shielding. Well, no fucking, no fucking doubt. And you actually look at, you know, you look at the history of it all from, you know, the Salem witch trials to catcalling from construction workers. And this is, this is the situation. This is the, their systemic trauma as a gender. And, um, and Ray was totally right. He's like, you know, you should you should really make it feel a little more grounded. And th- that that blew it open for me. Women often in that situation and in my life that I, that I've known, even in situations where I've just been a shitty twenty something, 
a lot of women don't know in those cases when they're in the, they're in the company of a, a, a drunk roughhousing dude, often white dude, if they're going to take a swing at them, if they're going to try and move in for a kiss or worse. And so um, I thought, well, holy shit, that'll be, that'll be a hell of a turn. Now, if you, if you really look back at the film, he, he's not a psycho killer. He's just alone and he's kind of going through whatever he's going through. If he was a murderer, Meredith wouldn't be calling him. He wouldn't be having a conversation with whoever this Meredith is. Um, she wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't ever let her near the phone. He wouldn't ever let her. He would have chased her down and grabbed the phone out of her hands if that was an issue. But she did text, you're a monster. Uh, and he felt embarrassed by the fact that he went through what he went through. And he actually was honest about what he went through. So anyway, ultimately, you know, I just wanted to make it um, – a very real grounded thing and, 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 and gray the line, muddy the line. Um, he actually didn't want to kill her. He was just roughhousing. And, and then, of course, he ends up staked like a pig. And the first thing he says is, look what you did. Mm. He blames her, you know, yeah. how male. Um, so, yeah. So I just thought that'd be effective. Did you um, – so you're, you're saying <clears throat> you're saying that you – he actually didn't want to kill her. Um is the Originally, I had that be the case, but no. Mm. Was the opportunity is the opportunity there to some regard to have that open? Because I didn't know by the time I was over, um, and I think I, I think I, it I, should I, be open. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's up to me to know. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I should sure. know what the filmmaker. You know, God what, damn it, what Josh, you ruined it. <laughs> the vibe is. I know, but but hey, but for anybody who watches it. I, I want that to be – I want people to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, like, okay, the Meredith thing and maybe he, this dude is just kind of sad sack, you know? It reminded me of the same sort of – because the film is uncomfortable. And when you look back on the film, it's uncomfortable because of that final scene. Um, mm. And I've been talking to a lot of filmmakers lately who – um, you know, do similar things to you do to what you did in this film. I think you did an amazing job in this regard. And I listened to a conversation about um, sort of uh, subverting expectations of uh, the audience in relation to a role. Quentin Tarantino was talking about it. He was like ranting about it on like some sort of, I think it was the Hollywood reporter or some shit he was on. He was like yelling about Joker um, because <sighs> there's, there's a similar scene in Joker where, um, I mean, maybe it's a bit, it's a bit different, but where you're kind of like extremely uncomfortable as an audience member when the Joker is in that sort of, um, he's at the, the, the tonight show or whatever the hell with Robert De Niro. Yeah. And have you seen the film? Cause I don't know mm -hmm. if this reference. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I, I like I rem audibly and I'm not trying to, you know, give you a little kiss on the cheek and say, good job. But I am saying like, I actually had like a real reaction to the film in, and I, and I really, I, I really hope you continue to do this with your later films as well, where you kind of, kind of subvert this sort of expectation of what, cause I was inundated with all this character. Um, and then there was a moment of, you know, you call it levity, but it wasn't levity because it was extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but um, <clears throat> sort of Thank calm. You. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't really know if I have a question there, but it was just more. Um, I remember I was watching on my dinky little fucking iPad, and uh, <laughs> the, the lights were off in the other room because it gets like really dark here really early, and um, and I was I I audibly went what the fuck, <laughs> mm. and um, 
I don't know. Like, do you, is this something taking those notes? I think that I, as an audience member, I think it was something that was what I think made this film for me was that last sort of, cause it's like the, a lot of horror films do this exact same thing, but you did it with the, uh, the issues with, you know, toxic masculinity and, you know, having the social commentary, um, God, I fucking want more people to watch this movie. But um, but I don't know. Like, do you feel like you're going to continue doing things kind of like this where you're going to start to – are you going to kind of maybe really consider that when you're coming up with the endings of your films again? Or is this, you know, oh, like I don't know. kind of flips? I mean um, – Well, not like uh, a flip, but like sort of like really honing in to sort of that that dialogue that you you were having in that – you know, in your mind and with the, the, with Gary was his name. I think was his name, Gary, the guy who gave you the notes. Oh, with Ray, Ray, Ray sorry. Gary, Gary was with his the... best friend. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Every, every movie is going to require something different. I think, you know, you want every, you want every film to make you feel something. So I, I hope that in setting out to do what I do, I'm, I'll make you feel something kind of at every turn I can. I don't know if it'll always come at, you know, the kind of the, the third act in the same way. But with Scare Me, it required the three to five page scene with the, you know, with the flip, as it were. It required the, <clears throat> or I guess in its DNA was the messaging. Um, it was made at uh, at a very specific time in our history. And for that reason, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but again, you know, like I said earlier, the, 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 my imperative is to, is to make something that, you know, especially if I can elicit some kind of feeling that makes you think maybe about your own psyche behavior or something that you've seen, or at the very least, like has you, you know, um, engage in a conversation or start a conversation with your, your fellow man or woman, um, uh, you know, have we been in this situation before and, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Etc. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Wrapping up here, um, you know, you said you've got this, uh, you've got this other film coming, um, uh, Werewolves Within. Um, what's, what do you, what's next for you? you? You also mentioned like a stop motion film as well. What's next for you? I'm excited. Oh, for you, I'm but... just, well, I, you know, you, you gotta, with this career, what I'm realizing is even if you never end up making the thing, you gotta have the next kind of thing ready. So I'm, I'm just trying to, um, if not go back and sort of tighten up old ideas and dust cobwebs off old ideas to kind of get them ready for the next thing. Um, I'm working with an author who I absolutely love, um, on a, on a series project, uh, probably shouldn't yet talk about. Um, I'm sort of a creative EP on, on a docu-series. Um, oh, wow. With, okay. uh, yeah, with, two incredible creators for a book series that they did um, that, you know, we're going to take out hopefully to pitch. Um, I really do want to fuck with the dark man IP. I've had a, an early conversation Dude, about that, so but that's about, cool. that's about <laughs> all I can say about that. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, in the absolute primordial, like barely primordial stages, it could totally, you know, fall apart that basically the, you know, I'm still a new kid on the block. Like that's yeah, something yeah. that almost anybody could take on. That's, you know, that had a first feature out the gate. Um, better than me or kind of more in that brand, but I have a fun angle for it. Um, and yeah, I'm basically just trying to, and you know, have the three or four things that I'm most passionate about that I do feel like has that thing, that theme, that tangible urgency to it, dare I say that, that I would be passionate to see through 
even if the thing, you know, started to get into production next year and then came out the year after that, that it wouldn't have a shelf life, that I could make something that, you know, with the COVID of it all, that, you know, we could, we could make it and would still have a, a relevance and a rewatchability in, in our near future and not, you know, something super a, as I think, um, relevant in a way. Well, I'm really excited for you. Um, I'm really happy that you're, you know, I, th- I think, you know, I'm really happy that you found like this place in, you know, the filmmaking world that a lot of people can kind of experience now. Um, like I experienced this afternoon with all the lights off lately. I've been, uh, watch watching, like a, I've been listening and watching a lot of like spooky fucking stories and shit. And, yeah. um, and, uh, I watched the trailer for this film and I was like, ah, I'll be okay. And so I like the lights were off. It's whatever, save energy, you know, during the winter um environmentally friendly all that jazz there was something there was like a bump in the room at one point it freaked the shit out of me while i was watching your good <laughs> heaven oh that's great news but uh but anyways um but yeah man i'm really excited for you and i can't wait to see what's next uh we'll have you on again for sure um to talk about your next film or have you on whenever you want to come on it's you know just as much uh my platform it is uh the creator that i have on that day um but yeah thank you so much josh i really appreciate you coming on the show it's been a lot a lot of fun talking with you and finally getting to meet you uh, in person. So hell yeah, dude! It's a great conversation. I can't believe yeah. you talked for an hour and a half. I'm so yeah. uh, that's a killer sign. You're the next Larry King. Oh well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. But you'll probably you know be a little more faithful. Well, thank you so much, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, take care. Have a good one. Yeah. You too, man. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did. The one thing I will take away from this episode and having this conversation with Josh was sort of encouraging myself to create through any type of emotion, whether it be happiness or sadness or frustration or, you know, all that, all those other things that we feel <laughs> in, in our day to day and and using that and driving it, you know, forward into a pen or a keyboard or you know, a camera, all that stuff, you know, all the things we create with. And just a heads up, I'm going to put Josh's links to his IMDb page, Instagram page, and his Twitter page down below. So you can go ahead and check those out at your own leisure. Josh, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was amazing. And if you're a creator out there and you want to come on the show, give me a shout. I'd love to hear from you. I said it at the beginning of the episode, but I really mean it. Uh, this is a new season and I'm trying to kick it off with a big bang I can't promise I can have everybody on the show, but I can can make an effort. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a real interview with writer-director Josh Rubin. Until next time, and scene.